1 Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth, and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast, And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this week's episode of Rev Covery the podcast where we former pastors, somewhat still pastors, still figuring it out people are <laughs> people who are vocationally confused, people who are vocationally adamant they're done what they're doing, whatever it might be. Uh, we're just a podcast about getting from uh, here to there. Yep. Uh, my name is Justin. I am a former pastor. I was I was in I did my time for almost 15 <laughs> years and exited in 2017. And my lovely co-host across the coast. (laughs) Co-host across the coast. I'm Sarah Heath, and I am still a United Methodist clergy member, although I left the local church in 2019. No, I didn't. That's a lie. In 2021. Mentally, you left in 2019. (laughs) It's so not true. I left in 2021. Oh, I'm so glad we have an editor. Or she can just leave it in and be like, this is what happens when Sarah records late at night. Friends, we are... (laughs) So excited. Uh, this is a friend of mine. We haven't seen each other in a really long time. So this is the other Justin, but has a different last name. This is Justin Halbersma. Did I say it right? You said it close enough. Close enough. Dang it. We'll get it. I am terrible at pronouncing last names, and I try really, really hard, guys. But I've known Justin for years. Also a United Methodist clergy member. His story is... I think one of the first stories I heard of someone who got out in a way that you know, I had known people who had got tossed out, but I didn't know a lot of people who were United Methodist clergy members who left. And so I wanted to share a little bit of your story and kind of how you have entered into the workforce, what that's been like in any, yeah. So can you give us a little background of how about how you started in ministry? Yeah. So I grew up in Minnesota, I'm a Minnesota born and raised. Grew up in a single parent household, just my mom and I. And uh, I think one of the things that was always important to my family of origin is faith. And so I grew up uh, actually, for the most part, evangelical. My family of origins kind of faith roots are in the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. So I have uh, an uncle who is still a pastor in the Christian Missionary Alliance Church. And then I have another uncle who was and then left ministry. And so that was kind of what I was raised. And then we went, my mom moved around a lot as a single parent for work. And so I moved around, I think I lived in 17 different places or whatever by the time I graduated high school. And we were reformed church in America for a while. And we lived in a town about 30 minutes away from that. And I uh, had a tough time getting along, not getting along with the kids at the church, but It's kind of hard to fit in when everybody else sees each other every day, at least in kind of smaller town, Minnesota. And then I'd only see them on Sundays and maybe Wednesdays. And so I asked my mom if I could actually start going to church at the Methodist Church in Sock Center, where we lived, because I knew my choir director went there and then some of my friends went there. And so I I didn't know uh, you were in a choir. I think I knew you were a musician, but I don't think I knew you were in choir. I, I was in choir. I I was also in a church choir. At a Christian Missionary Alliance church, actually. My two so. basketball playing guy. You were in choir. I can imagine. This is so fun. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually made all state choir <gasps> in Minnesota. Um, what? I, d- yeah. I did not do that. I don't share a lot of that stuff very often. <laughs> um, well, I'm so glad you're sharing it with the nation. That's great. <laughs> yeah. There we and go, right? out of the nation. We have <laughs> listeners in other countries, by the way. This, this is blowing my mind. Rev recovery <laughs> room, nation, something. So I started going to the Methodist church and it kind of, it felt like home. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that church kind of was another family. And part of that, I, I think I narrated my call one time is, I don't think... 
in my crass moments, I said my mom cursed me into it by by dedicating me to to God and saying whatever uh, whatever you want to do with him. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> wow. Um, but you know, it was. I think there's a lot of I'm still discovering about myself. But part of that is the church helped make me who I was too, mm. uh, in terms of the church community and growing up in a single parent household. The church was always supportive of my mother and therefore supportive of me. And so that was a huge part of kind of, I think, this sense of wanting to give back and to have other people experience that, to be a part of what I think is transformative ministry in terms of seeing the difference it can make in somebody's life, because I had experienced it. Went off to school, went to college at Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa, which is Reformed Church in America, where I was a crazy liberal. Um, <laughs> I don't think they'd be that hard to do there. No, I well, and I didn't think I was, but I was there. And then I was a religion major, so I studied Calvin and Calvinism and everything else that went with it and said, this is not me. And then I had always wanted to go to Duke. Woo! Um, Sorry, that's so, where I went as well. <laughs> yeah. It was one of the 13 United Methodist Seminaries Divinity Schools. And so that and I think Methodist Theological School in Ohio were the two that I looked at, but I always wanted to go to Duke. Applied, got accepted, had a little two-year hiatus while my wife was finishing up her school, where I did youth directing in the Methodist Church uh, at the college town that she went to, and then headed off to Duke, was there for three years. It was home. This is where I realized, like, oh, these these are kind of my people and and think like me and oh this is why I am who I am which was not your experience at the reformed no no, no. <laughs> shocking <laughs> no yeah so so everything but everything that I had to argue for at Northwestern when I went to Duke and I'm like looking everybody thought that was like no no kidding like that's what everybody should think uh, and I was like, there's, <laughs> a, you were... there's, there's a whole different world out there that does not think that way. And, I grew up <laughs> yes. and so that was a, a different experience, but a good experience had my wife and I within, oh my goodness, the first two months of school discovered that we were expecting our first child. Whew. And so our oldest son, Micah, who is 16, turned 17 in May, was born as I was finishing up had just finished up actually uh, my first year at Duke. And that's a stressful, that first year of seminary guys, like I think I compared it to being legally blonde my first year. Like I had no idea what side was up. I wasn't a religion major. So I cannot imagine then also bringing a human into the world. So the first year wasn't bad. The second year was the one where I had the adjustment because I no longer was in control of my schedule. Uh, and when I could, yeah. Yeah. When I do work. Uh, the joke I had after that was at Duke, I wasn't, Nobody knew who I was, actually. They knew who Micah was, and they only knew me as Micah's dad. Yeah. Um, because that was, that was about the only time they saw me, unless, especially people that weren't in my class. So people that came after, like mm -hmm. they would always see my son because he'd be in the student lounge um, with <laughs> a whichever, whichever classmate I could, you know, find to watch him Hold while him. I was in class. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was good. Then, but all families back in Minnesota, we came back to Minnesota served in church in southeastern Minnesota, Chatfield, small town, went through culture shock big time. And that's also where I began while I'm in this, you know, provisional period within the United Methodist Church. Yeah. So just so you guys know, a lot of our listeners are not Methodist, but provisional is basically they're like, we think you might be a pastor, but we're going to give it a, a look-see and you're yep. in like before you're fully ordained. A lot of other denominations uh, just ordain you, not in the United Methodist Church. Oh, no, no. Keep yeah, a wait. Some, yeah, the denomination I was part of had a, like a waiting period of like, yeah. let's just see if he's really or, or she. If they mean it. Yeah. So and it used to, it used to be called probationary period, but then they they thought it sounded too jail-like. So they changed it okay, to provisional. Okay, well, we asked... We asked people While how many years they've that. served. We we realized that it it really sounds like just so you know, like prison terms. Like how many yeah. years did you serve? How yeah. how long were you in for? Things yeah, what like were that. You, what were you in for? 
<laughs> wait, wait, what need were you fulfilling? Sorry, does it not to interrupt your story? Yeah. But so you no, are in the middle of provisional probationary period, and and what was happening in the midst of that? Yeah. So I was like, I never had any. So my attitude with the church was, I believe God had called me there and had called me in the ministry. So like, I wasn't one of the the kind of provisional members that was afraid of like I had to do the right things or worry about you know, making sure I towed the, the correct line in order to get approved because my attitude was always, if they approve me, good, and it validates that call. If not, I can go do other things. I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not worried about being able to find something else to do, which, you know, uh, some people took as arrogance. Um, <laughs> this isn't your entire life and everything is riding on this? <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah but i mean i i struggled too because that culture shock i struggled I, do i really want to be i didn't know if i wanted to be a pastor in the local church or if i was kind of called to campus ministry was wrestling with that applied for a job back at duke divinity school that had, was their admissions because that idea of working with people as they kind of explore their call, applied for that, told my district superintendent, hey, I made it to the second stage of interviews. If if I get offered this job, I'm taking it. And so take that with what, what you will. That didn't work out, which was fine. But then it kind of got my district superintendent, I think, worried that I might be leaving ministry. So he wanted to find me a position that kind of connected with what I was really looking to do in ministry, which was campus ministry at that time. And so I got moved to a town where I could do part-time campus ministry and then be an associate pastor at a pretty well-off church financially, but that had passed its prime. Oh, that's such a nice way of putting it. Yeah, it just, it, it was a thriving, huge church at one point, worshiping a thousand, I think in the 50s and 60s, if I remember right. Also, cultural reference Methodist, a thousand is a lot. Yeah, a, a junk ton. Because <laughs> there's always like multiple Methodist churches. So if it gets above like a thousand, you're really, you're doing it. Yeah. And it was like one, 150 to 180 when, when I went there. That's quite a, that's quite a, a little bit of a drop off. A little a drop bit off, of a yeah. drop off. Past her prime. But huge church, half a block wide and a block long and multiple stories huge spire you know like it was all stone tile roof the old kind of not ceramic tile not tile tile um, so clay clay tile so she um, was pretty yeah yeah so sarah, of- sarah and i both are like oh yeah oh, oh okay. yeah sort of i could do a lot with that <laughs> get out of me Sort of like going to Disney World, uh, you could see the castle. And it was an interesting experience. Within a couple of months of being there, they were talking about merging with another Methodist church um, in town. And I was new. The senior pastor I was under, um, who's a great guy, it wasn't in his skill set to merge. And the pastor of the other church, it wasn't necessarily in their skill set to merge. And so it was kind of like to the district superintendent, like, we need something consultant came in helped that process and i was good had to close the campus ministry because it just wasn't viable and tried moving it into the local church the senior pastor looked at uh was moved two years later three years later yeah so that's part of our system too listeners if you have not followed methodist polity <laughs> we get moved around a lot so True, truly imagine. riveting do you what it's truly riveting isn't it? Yeah, we get moved around, which sounds sometimes like a great thing. But studies have been done that it's actually really, really damaging for people to experience job insecurity. And so uh, recently I was talking to an industrial organizational person and we were sharing with them our model. And they said, that's the most toxic system I've ever heard of. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, and they're still doing it. <laughs> so there are some things that are benefits to it for sure. Because if you're in a place for too long, you are able to sort of move. You don't have to find your own job and there is guaranteed appointments. However, that's only for elders. The problem is we have a lot of situations like Justin is sharing where some folks have skill sets that they're being asked to use that don't make sense in areas like, so if someone isn't emerging pastor which is definitely a certain skill set it's difficult to have them do that yeah and so like that 
process is going. Um, my ordination is like that year. So I get ordained my first year. Like, so I had two years in Chatfield. Then the first year there was when I was going through the whole ordination interview process and everything. Got ordained, go through that process. My second son was born. Going through a whole lot of life changes, a whole lot of changes within the church. Got to experiment with some stuff, which was great. Was really connected with wider Methodism and creating friendships outside of Minnesota and getting discovered and known kind of amongst other people in other conferences and kind of joked or I always, I always thought bigger system kind of questions and challenge things, right? And so that's kind of why I was excited to have you on the show because you've always been the person I've known that's been thinking beyond the local church. And I feel like in many ways you were ahead of the curve. Yeah, and I, well, so I like to, to yeah, if my mom ever listens to this, and I won't say the words, but I like to call people on their BS. <laughs> if your mom listens to this, she's going to be a lot more disappointed than that. But I mean, yeah. it's not coming yeah. out of your mouth. Yeah, but we, we <laughs> you you may use whatever words you wish. Yeah, you're Minnesota nice. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, <laughs> I'm just afraid of my mom coming. I'm out. California crass. Um, Knowing the size of you, I love that idea that you're afraid of your mom. <laughs> Yeah, she's only 5'8", but she's, you know, instills like, the fear. That's three inches taller than me. More than Yeah, it's yeah. also four inches taller than my wife, too. Um, <laughs> so the Methodist Church was all about young clergy, young clergy, young clergy. And there's, I think they're still about young clergy, young clergy, young clergy. I've lost track because I've been out since 2018. But they would say this, but then everywhere you looked in leadership, like, yeah. Young leadership at the conference or national level, a lot of times were people in their 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's not a joke. Right. And like maybe young, like older 40s, like you'd have young. There were some conferences that started to change that. But I wanted to say like, so if this is the case and and theologically, if we think about things like God has called young people into leadership roles within scripture over and over and over again. So if we have this understanding of the Holy Spirit kind of gifting people for certain roles, like how in the world can't there have been young people called to <laughs> the, the episcopacy already? Yeah. And so I, I created a website on a whim called Rethink Bishop. I just need you guys to know that this is why Justin is a sleeper. All of you are hearing like his story and we're 20 minutes in and now we're getting to the juice. Yeah. He like he go. was just your he was your like quiet guy in seminary who you knew was holding a baby. That's how you often saw him. Always wearing a Duke shirt, you know, that guy and then takes a, a pretty normal position, goes through all this and then realizes that the system is not moving forward the youth and so creates a website called we think Bishop. I like this. Yeah. So the idea was to try to identify or have identified young clergy within different jurisdictions that had the, either felt like they had the gifts and were called to or were identified as it and to try to get their names out there. That was the initial attempt. And through that, there was another Duke graduate also by the name of Justin, who also uh, should be a bishop already. <laughs> Once, once he saw that, like, shoots me an email and goes, I don't know who this is, but yes, this is exactly what I'm thinking. And then I said, oh, yeah, <laughs> hey, Justin, it's Justin, because I, 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 knew, <laughs> I knew of him, uh, and we had crossed paths, but we hadn't really had a talk, and talk more about it. He was my dear it, friend in the seminary. And tried to kind of build that up. It transformed into something else, but, like, that was some of my inklings of what was wrestling with me, and I think it was also wrestling with that realizing that the local church might not be my calling. And so continued to wrestle with that and think about it. The consultant who was brought in to help the church merge was actually not United Methodist pastor, not ordained. But when my senior pastor got moved, the conference asked him if he would serve (laughs) um, part-time as senior pastor with me as the associate but also as the only one who had sacramental authority. Okay, so again, translating for our non-Methodist folks, those of us who are ordained clergy members can do sacraments, which for us is like basically communion. And so if you're going to do communions and baptisms, you have to have a clergy, official clergy member Mm -hmm. in the room. 
to, to yeah. cast to cast the magic spell to Touching make it the things yeah. moving yeah. the arms yeah. yeah don't say don't say that i got in trouble when i said that i do uh <laughs> i got in trouble for saying I, body I shots am, as a type of uh, communion nice i think nice. my friend my friend and i said so you say hocus pocus and yeah my my preceptor was not happy with us <laughs> i i was i worked in united methodist church for like a, a year and change and yes it was it it's its own wonderful animal if i, I but actually did I, I you think say it, i baptize you because if you say we baptize yes. you then apparently you got to revoke that whole thing it doesn't this count be, yeah yeah, this will I be way that. after this had happened, but in the news, uh, recently-ish, uh, a Catholic priest got in trouble for saying, we baptize you, which is actually kind of a strong theology, if you think about it. But he ended up, all of his baptisms got null and voided, and he got out, uh, kicked out of the priesthood. There are priests, though, that I, I heard there was a Catholic priest that went back and watched his baptism video. And the priest said we like there's a lot of people that are finding out that, you know, the priest accidentally said we or just wasn't thinking about it or, you know, so there are like Catholic priests who are it's a question whether they can still be priests, because when they were baptized, <laughs> the priest that baptized them said we instead of I. It's ridiculous. But but also people take it very seriously. I mean, very seriously. I went to seminary with a guy who was laughing hysterically one time in the hallway I was like, what's going on? And he's like, my home church in Kentucky is arguing over whether or not this kid's baptism counted because his finger was out of the water and the fear was that the finger would sin. Was the finger saved? <laughs> like this whole conversation. And we got into this whole like, is that idle hand? It was the best theological debate. My friend is crying, laughing in the hallway. Like I can't, he's looking at the photo like how, what? Literally, they've sent this before a board. And people wonder why. Wonder why people are confused about, like, what does this have to do with Why actual... aren't there more youth wanting to lead the church? Yeah, it's weird. <laughs> There's lots of Robert's rules and everything else that we have to follow. And we are <laughs> exactly perfect. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he was he was actually considered laity in the United Methodist system. And so he was part-time. Great guy, was actually a huge mentor for me and a huge person that helped me kind of work through some stuff that I had to work through and probably had been working through a lot of, of my life. But he would be there 26 Sundays a year, and I was the only one there the other 26. Oh, wow. Yeah, so the first year. And then he transitioned to three-quarters time, so he was there more. But it worked out. We planned sermons here. It was, it was probably the healthiest kind of co-working um, I experience I had, and a mentor that I knew cared about me and would help me walk through some things. Got me into experiencing consulting a bit, which fit in my wheelhouse. So he he wanted me to be on a consulting team that he was doing for the conference for this church because of the stuff I had done around worship at our church. And he knew this church would need some worship revamping. And then when I was there, our director of ministries for the conference kind of saw me in action and was impressed and then asked if I'd come to another church. And then this ended up where I became part of that consulting team for the conference. So I got to experience that. And it was something that I liked, but I didn't know if it was something I'd want to do full-time either. So I'm continuing ministry. We're building a new worship service, connecting with college students. Things are going well. Um, this is making me getting... so nervous. <laughs> well, and at the same time, I'm still, I'm still wrestling with this. Is this what I'm called to, or, you know, kind of having this inkling to look at ch plant, church planting and going back to kind of central Minnesota where I was where I was born and raised, basically. And so I was starting some of that discernment and then planning the year ahead. And I got a call from my district superintendent. Literally while I was on the toilet, I got the call. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think the, we all those got are the some, best. It's those a different kind of call. but <laughs> Yeah, you could say it scared the shit out of me, but I was already <laughs> doing that. So uh, <laughs> it was already taken care of. There's the Justin yeah, I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sorry, mom. You know, the caller ID pops up and it's it's my district superintendent and I'm like oh do I ignore it I, I've got to I got to take this I take it like so uh, I know we said that you know you're gonna be there another year and this but you know we'd like you to think about 
a placement. And so I'm like set up a meeting with my senior, you know, senior pastor, my mentor. And he's like, okay, so I got the call and they want me to do this. And he's like, okay. So he helps me process it. And the church was going through kind of the consulting phase and actually was going to have their weekend coming up. And so I asked to actually be on the consulting team to determine if that would be the right place for me. And so it was actually Which in a is town- super bizarre, guys, by the way, in our- Never happens. Never happens. Yeah, you never get- I was asked and consulted. Justin was asked and consulted, but usually it's just like the call lasts about the length of the poop and it's, uh, you're taking this. You're moving. Yeah. You're moving. You're, you're not you're afforded having a, a movement lot. and you're moving. <laughs> yeah. You're not afforded a lot of those opportunities. So it was a nope. unique experience and a unique thing given to me and, you know, which I recognized. So it went, ended up being a place that I thought would be great for, for my family and I, and we came up and it was, it was a, it was a healthy church, a happy church. Uh, but I realized I had some PTSD from the church I was at for six years because of some of the, the lingering things of what they used to be and how they acted like they still used to be. And some of the toxicity, I think that can happen in those, you know, there's a point of where things are past its prime. So like, even like relationships or marriages when they've they're not what they originally were and they can kind of just they can function but function in a very toxic way i got to experience some of that and i was i I mean this is one of those eye-opening experiences i was presiding over a church conference right which is all the members can be there and and they vote on the annual budget and all these forms, et cetera. By the way, one of the things that is fascinating is this is one of the only rooms you'll ever be in where your entire salary is voted on in front of you. Yeah. By people who have no, like they could just have just started attending the church, they could, you know, whatever it might be. And they, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so I'm presiding at that and a lady asks if she can ask something or say something and like my body instantly tensed up because in my prior setting if that happened that meant there was going to be a reckoning of somebody laying out all their ills and what they thought (laughs) an Um, airing of the grievances yeah it wasn't i mean she was just asking an honest question but like i came home and i went to my wife like i i think i just realized like there's a lot of stuff that i have to work through in terms of Stuff that I didn't expect because I had just done it. And I, it affected how I led because I always led from a place of trying to overcome resistance. And then I just went to a church that just gave their path, like they trusted their pastor, right? And they would follow where it was. And I was used to that. So <laughs> it, it, yeah. it took a while and things were good. And it was a great church and it was a healthy church. And yet I still, still wrestled with, is this my call? And I think that was one of the things that allowed me to really dig deep into that question was because it's not the church. This church is, is healthy, right? And it's a great placement and it's a great community and they're supportive and I'm still having this. So then it's, it's not, it's not them. It's, it's me. Yes. And (laughs) I'm really glad that you're sharing your story. I think so many of the stories we hear are a little bit more from the first position you were in. People leave out of duress and out of stress and out of Like, I got to get out of here. And so it's good to hear that once you were able to sort of regulate a little bit more, because that's something that we've talked about as well, um, Justin and I have talked about, is there is a way that our bodies are affected by this work that we don't talk about. All the jokes about the bathrooms, yes. But more than that, you know, one of the, the things that was pointed out very early by a group of my friends when I first stepped out of ministry is I would viscerally react when my, when a text would come from certain people. And I, I just realized that there's so much um, we're actually going to have on the podcast, someone who does body work around this stuff, like moving it through your body, because, you know, it really can create stress that you don't know where it's coming from, reactions that don't match with what you're going through. And so that makes sense to me that you're in a church that's a little more able to hold space for you. And you're still like, yeah, your body is still like, not at whole, at ease. Like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> that, yeah, that's a, that's a a sign first corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that here at the speaking in church podcast we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church 
It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know. Mm-hmm. For sure. Body's not easy and I'm really struggling. I kind of always knew my first and foremost kind of calling from God was to be a father, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a huge part of my story. Growing up without my father present in my life, I wanted to change that narrative and my kids to experience a father that was present. And yet I was physically present, but I wasn't mm-hmm. able to be fully emotionally and intellectually present with them because I couldn't I couldn't figure out, I think some people can, I could never figure out how to balance and put away work to be mm-hmm. present fully with my kids, whatever I was worried about with the sermon or worship or a meeting or, you know, somebody's having something going on or is upset, all that stuff would come home with me. And so my kids got, my kids and my wife got what was left over, not the best of me. And so I had to start figuring out some of that and 20... 17, I kind of had a meeting with my district superintendent who was great and healthy and doing it and saying, I don't know. I said, I don't know if, if this is it for me. And she, she set me up to go to kind of some counseling, but also that has to do around career stuff and thinking through some of that. And so in the spring of 2017, I started to kind of do some of that and explore what I do continued into the fall and just knew that it was going to be time to go and so told me told my district superintendent um she was supportive now because of my particular situation of kind of being financially strapped not knowing what i was going to do next i needed to get my hands on my retirement to guarantee that my retire my retirement so my 401k retirement funds so that i could live and figure out what's going to be next. And so in order to access that, I would have to turn in my credentials and leave ministry. Now, the United Methodist Church also in the time, because they started seeing some of this and they were looking to have older clergy that were looking to leave transition and not be afraid of what might be next. Uh, If you actually turned in your credentials and said, hey, I need to be looking at something else. I realized ministry isn't for me. You got what would be in the business world, the severance package. So you get, you got, I think it's still available in the Amethyst Church, right? So if you turn in credentials, you know, you realize ministry isn't going to be your thing. It was like six months worth. I don't remember how it was figured out, but I kind of got like six months worth of salary. Plus my health insurance was covered through the end of the year. And so it gave me time to figure out what was next. Sorry, can I ask a clarifying question? When you leave in the United Methodist Church, you, you have to, sur- everyone has to surrender their credentials or. No. So you no. can, I, I could, you could go on um, family leave or you can go on just leave, which means, Hey, I'm not Personal in the appointment leave. process. I'm looking at it and you get voted on by the clergy on whether to keep you on personal leave or also to even do this transitional leave stuff. So that's kind of how it, it but you couldn't like, Oh, Hey, I'm a project manager now. And I'm resigning, and then they'd probably say, "No, you can't do that." Yeah, you get vote. Yeah, I don't. Okay, I'm just trying to figure out like the level of risk as you leave and what you lose is what I'm trying to just kind of get a. I think you were confused. My own conference doesn't know what to do, so I'm appointed technically to my own business and to consulting and coaching, but my own conference. So my the the area that I technically currently serve in, they offer me no benefit to doing it. So then Mm -hmm. the question becomes, why are you doing it? Right. So I get zero pay, zero, no one's consulting you. No one's helping you figure out health insurance. No one's, and that's our way of doing it. So it's a very broken system in that it's national and it seems like it would have all of its stuff ironed out, but different pastors in different areas experience a different reality when they start talking about stepping out. So for me, um, when I started talking about stepping out, it was very much like, no, you're not. Uh, (laughs) There was no sort of let's counsel you. Let's give you time off. They did give me a sabbatical for exactly a month and then asked me to speak at two events during it. And that wasn't an ask. That was a, we need you to speak at these two events. Mixed. Yeah. And 
and I mean, I was blessed. My, my conference was supportive. I don't think anybody really wanted to see me leave. They I had, I mean, I had a unique experience. I think they really saw me as a gifted and talented and called person in ministry. And so I think they struggled with somebody leaving that right, yeah. probably was on a path to what they thought was bigger things. I don't know. But so they gave me the opportunity before the clergy session to to actually the bishop and the director of ministries said I could stand up and address and share why I was leaving ministry and how it was before they voted to basically allow me to leave, right? Because it had to be approved by the clergy session. And so I got to share, right? Like I'm I know my calling is to be a parent and to be present and I can't do this. And there's something, something else. And so many people in the room are like, oh, what's it like? Well, yeah. I think some people were shocked. I think some people, I know there were a couple that like, no, you shouldn't leave. A friend of mine who was a district superintendent, um, younger, I think was the one person who did not vote to approve my, my my leave, not because he wasn't supportive of me, but because he he believed I was was called to to the ministry and that surrendering my credentials wasn't what God wanted. And it's such an interesting thing surrendering your credentials, like it, or if it's under so you can surrender your credentials, or you get if you are if you leave under not so great circumstances, it's called being defrocked. Yeah, yeah, that was that was me. That you was, got defrocked. Defrocked. There's no ceremony. My mom yeah. asked. She's like, "You no. ever get defrocked? Is there a ceremony?" I'm like, "No, mom." But weirdly, they do make you go to a voting session to leave. So just you went through probably one of the most, I would say, thoughtful transitions with our last little while. I'd love to hear how it's been on the other side, and <laughs> if it's been what you thought it would be. If you have. Thoughts for folks who are going to think about doing the same thing? That would be great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I took the leap not knowing what was going to be next. I didn't have anything arranged, right? So I had, after losing it to taxes, et cetera, I had like sixty or $70,000 um, from my hey, retirement. Hey, that's way better than me. To uh, float me along. And so I did, uh, tried some day trading for a while, just doing some <laughs> kind of minor stuff. As you do. Because why not? <laughs> yeah. Well, I was always interested in it and, you know, mm-hmm. hey, let's let's give it a shot. But it's kind of stressful and it doesn't always work out. And I was like, I don't know if I want to do this like all the time. And then I like looking for jobs. I uh, got into insurance, but it was like weird insurance. It wasn't like your classic insurance agent it was like that supplemental insurance junk. And so got went down to Dallas, went through the whole thing, then came back and they have somebody go out with you and you go around to small businesses, et cetera, and try to do all the sales stuff. And while this is going on- That sounds on, like my do... biggest nightmare. I just need all of yeah. you to know I could never <laughs> do that job. Day trading or going door to door selling insurance. Like literally I'm my- I'm not exactly an extrovert either. So What you know. <laughs> not exactly a right calling uh, per se either for, for, for a job and career. But hey, I was going to try it. And so I do that. While that's going on, I have some kind of weird health thing going on where I could not hear out uh, my right side of my ear at all. Like it just plugged up. So it sounded when I was talking to people like I could be in church because we started going to a Lutheran church and it would be loud, but it sounded muffled. And like the teacher on Charlie Brown, um, Snoopy, right? The wow, wow. That's what it sounded like. So not exactly a great thing if you're trying to introduce yourself and hear what people say. And so we're going through this huge transition, going to a new church, and I can't hear anybody. And so like, I became very antisocial because you try to avoid any of those things because you don't want to make a fool of yourself. So it was, a, it was, it was like, great, what am I going to do? So I just basically lived off my retirement where I'm still trying to figure out stuff. Applied for another job, and while I'm doing that, my mom reached out to me because she has a, she had a business where she uh, had foster care home for four adults with developmental disabilities, and then did uh, one-on-one services to others with developmental disabilities. And she was in need of some help, like in terms of the business side and doing some of that. And so she had figured out her numbers and figured, you know, like, what do you guys need? 
like I can pay you this and you can get insurance with this, you know, we'd like, we'd like for you to come on board. And then the idea was we'd take over my wife who had worked for her for 10 years, we would take over the business in five years. So that was the fall of 2018 that I started there. And then within the first year, mom's like, yeah, my health isn't going to keep up. We need to make this happen sooner. And so we began the process of us taking over, which we took over in 2020. And what a year. Pan- yeah. And then the pandemic hit. So I don't know anything other than serving in, in this capacity under the pandemic, which is really different than how it was for my mom. But I think it ended up being the right thing because she admits like she doesn't know if she would have been able to survive through the pandemic and kind of the realities that that created yeah. for, for the work that we do. But it's good. So my work is actually an hour and 15 minute drive from where we live because we didn't, we debated moving, but our kids had, our kids all had good friends and good circles and good support. And we had a community that was good for them. And I, I knew what it's like to be uprooted from that. And I didn't want to, we didn't want to uproot them. And so we decided to stay where we were living in Brainerd and Baxter, which was the, the last town that I served uh, the Methodist Church to. And so we drive, um, both my wife and I, when we have to go, an hour and 15 minutes to go to work and then back and probably put in similar hours to what I put in in ministry. But when I'm off, I'm off. And so even though it can be a stressful job, I don't feel stressed like I did in ministry and I'm able to be present because I'm able to set my schedule a bit. I'm able to coach one of my son's soccer teams and be at their activities. And so it's been, it's been the right thing and it was the right thing for me. I still do think that I was called to ministry for that season. And I think the reality is there might be, that might be what it is for people is they're called to ministry for a season and not a lifetime. And when I say called to ministry, I should qualify that called to pastoral ministry in the local church, because I think we do a, I think we do a, I'm going to, I'm going to swear. We do a shitty job of understanding what ministry really is. And so the, the church, not, I think of its own volition, right. Is we put it in the pedestal, this idea of ministry, as pastoral ministry, but also any ministry that's done through the church in the name of the church is what real ministry is. Right. And the the stuff that all Christians are doing daily in the way that they live and in fact impact people's lives in in ways that the church can't qualify is just as transformative, if not more transformative ministry to society. I think people need to hear that more like i i wasn't united methodist but i in my ministry training it was very much like the call is for a lifetime the call is to a local church and it's almost like they're like brainwashing you into like don't leave the local church we desperately need people to fill these spots so we're gonna like teach you and and that stuck with me for a long time even if even when i didn't believe in it it's like these these mentors these people and in my life were telling me, you know, this is for a lifetime. You know, this is, and it's only for well, a we local say church. at calling. Yeah. You have at calling. And I think Yeah. Like the um, yeah, the the one. Yeah. Yeah. I want to thank you, Justin, for giving permission for folks who are who don't have the same this was a this was a traumatic, like I can name all these things, but also feel like there was this thing that meant you weren't weren't able to be present to other things. Because I think that's we we recognize that for some people the story that they're experiencing or the reason that they're thinking about um, stepping away isn't from a nasty experience or I use the word nasty because I keep thinking about your mom listening. Um, <laughs> but I think it, I think there's there is this like yeah there's this thing where everyone wants to talk about the the tough stuff and I think we do need to talk about the tough stuff but I also appreciate the way that you couched it in like this was my family and they cared for me when I needed a mentor and they showed up and it still wasn't the right thing for me because I think a lot of people think because they were mentored or whatever that they have to then pay it back for the rest of their lives (laughs) well I think I struggled with that I think I did think that too and felt that kind of not because and the church wasn't 
demanding that of me, right? But I kind of felt like it did. If I didn't do this, right, was this a, a failure? You know, would people, this constant thing of not wanting to disappoint people or feel like people are disappointed in you, I think was one of those things I had to overcome too. I had to, I had to own, it doesn't matter. They're not going to be there with me, <laughs> you know, in, in a year or two years or five years mm -hmm. or 10 years, like I'm the only one that's going to be there and be with my kids, et cetera. They can't do anything. So like, I've got to make a decision for what's best for me. And I think what God is calling me to, to be, and that's not easy. Like it sounds like it'd be so easy, but that's not easy to, to always come to grips with. And so it was scary. I was lucky. I had a very supportive conference. I had supportive conference leadership. I had supportive friends. And I, I recognize that and I'm thankful for that because I know there are a lot of people that have to navigate this without that support or like when they bring up that they might be wrestling with it, might be guilted or told like, well, you just need to think about this or take some time. Like you really, and guilt trip into kind of staying and aren't given the space and the opportunity to, I think, have that healthy transition. And that's what it was. It was a healthy transition. So I don't have like negative feelings towards the church. Like were there experiences that weren't optimal? Yeah, but there's experiences that aren't optimal in everything we do, including, you know, our daily lives. But the, the church helped me get to that point and cared about me finding a place of health because I think they recognized it's not going to do the church any good to have somebody who's stressed and dysfunctional and <laughs> wrestling with whether they should be there too. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. Is there any bit of advice you would give to anyone who's considering this or yeah, just any bit of advice, anything you want to share? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think to a point it's really try to shut out outside voices and really mm. try to listen to that, listen to that inner voice and listen to what you kind of, if you have an inkling of this might not be it, spend some time in that and really try to cut out all the outside stuff because, you know, in the end, none of those people are living your life mm -hmm. and it's your life. And we only get, we only get one of them. Uh, and my kind of thing has always been, I don't want to necessarily, I don't want to reach the end of it and go, I wish I would have, or I should have. And so if you're kind of wrestling with that, be a person who isn't afraid to, to do whatever it takes so that you don't look back in 10, 15 years and go, Oh, I wish of, I wish I would have, or what would have happened if I would have mm -hmm. take that leap. We're all resilient people. And a lot of times we'll land on our, our feet. You more than likely probably have a support system, either a family or friends or a community that will be there to help you through that transition too, if that's what, what you're called to do. Yeah. And hopefully by the time this airs, we'll have that supportive community that we're working on creating. And we'll say, uh, Justin and I talk often about, that's like the biggest request people have is, can we find mm -hmm. uh, a way to connect people to this story? So thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Rope Anything you've got left, Justin? Anything you want to say? Oh, other Justin. Justin <laughs> yeah, co-host. Sorry. <laughs> it's okay. Wow. It's okay. No, that's, uh, yeah, I think I'm, you know, again, Justin, very happy to hear a story that is that is a, a, a methodical, like, assessment of this is what I want, and then I'm going to transition in rather than waiting for a trauma to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, or creating think, a trauma. Or creating a trauma because there's something internal. And so I think that advice of getting into your internal voices is so very important. And as Sarah said, and just to echo it, we are, we are in the process of, of trying to create a more intentional community to help people do that. Because in ministry, I think everyone in ministry will say that, that the internal voice gets drowned out so easily. And, and that's every profession. That's just life. It drowns out that inner voice very quickly. But I think when that inner voice is couched in that, you know, I, I'm doing this for God, I think sometimes it gets even more blurry. And then even, you know, if even even God, if if depending on where someone might be at in their deconstruction faith journey, even even the idea of God gets drowned out 
and it's just the perfunctory day in and day out of ministry and that that's not a good place to be and so thank you for your story to say like hey you can get out it's a process but there's life on the other side and even if you haven't experienced trauma yet and you just know it's not for you that's you know you have permission to leave and i think some people need to hear that so thank you thanks guys friends thanks again for listening to this episode of rev recovery and thanks so much to justin for sharing his story before we hop into this week's reading or poem i want to share with you some rev recovery exciting news and that is that the rev recovery room is finally ready to be launched. And what that means is that beginning April 1st, you're going to be able to be part of a community through Discord. Also, you're going to be able to give to the show. And I am so grateful to everyone who's been asking how they can give to the show. So this is how it's going to go. Justin and I have worked really hard on this. You're going to be able to sign up on Patreon if you're a $4 a month giver. So that's $1 an episode, however you want to think about it. Um, you're going to be able to become part of the Discord community. And in that community are going to be lots of conversations about leaving ministry, finding new jobs, all that kind of fun stuff. For $5 a month, you can join the Discord and also get an ad-free RSS feed. I have no idea what an RSS feed is, but Justin promises me that will happen. We're also going to have different levels um, for more than that. But for right now, that's what we're able to launch. And also there's going to be lots more information about exactly what's going to happen April 1st. But we wanted you guys, our faithful new listeners, our early adopters to learn first that April 1st of 2022, we launched the Discord community or Rev Recovery Room. Friends, I know that Justin's story is one that might be a little different than the other stories we've heard because there doesn't seem maybe as much pain, but I want to let you know that Justin was one of my first friends that I knew within ministry who was leaving. And I think sometimes we think that a story has to have a lot of just like absolute pain points and we don't know how to hold on to a space for joy. So for this week's poem, so for those of you who aren't feeling this massive sense of trauma before leaving ministry, or maybe you have a more, I would say, gracious way of looking back at your time in ministry, this might be a helpful poem for you or those of you who are willing to step into what's next. So this is a poem from, once again, the incredible Mary Oliver. This is Mary Oliver. Don't hesitate. And as always, we invite you to simply listen to this poem. And if it doesn't work for you, no worries. This is just one that we wanted to offer. If you suddenly and unexpectedly feel joy, don't hesitate. Give into it. There are plenty of lives and whole towns destroyed or about to be. We are not wise and not very often kind. And much can never be redeemed. Still, life has some possibility left. Perhaps this is its way of fighting back that sometimes something happens better than all the riches or power in the world could be anything but very likely you notice it in an instant where love when love begins anyway that's often the case anyway whatever it is don't be afraid of its plenty joy is not made to be a crumb friends thanks again for listening to this episode of Recovery, We would sure appreciate it if you would like subscribe and let us know what you need to hear or who you'd like to hear from have a great week. First Corinthians warned you about the women with a loud mouth and this podcast is just that. Here at the Speaking in Church podcast, we talk all about the regular people and the things that regularly happen to them in the evangelical church. It's a podcast about change. It's a podcast about seeking moral high ground. And it's a podcast for people who are just trying to deconstruct on the safe side. You can listen wherever you get your podcast. And if you want to be a guest, yes, you, regular person, you can be a guest on the Speaking in Church podcast. If you want to come on, just let us know.